Well, if I haven't met you before, my name is Grant. I'm one of the teaching pastors here at Christ the King. I'd like to welcome everybody here at the Bellingham campus. I want to welcome those of you who are joining us at Ferndale. Good to have you with us, Ferndale. I also want to give a special welcome to those of you who are watching online. I'd like to say a very special welcome to a lady. Her name is Daryl. I'm not getting that wrong. And Daryl watches our service every week in Italy. And so we'd like to welcome Daryl. I'm glad that she's able to join us. I think that's awesome. We're doing a series called Cringe. We've been looking at the tough teachings of Jesus. Moments when people heard what Jesus taught and their response was, did he really just say that? Did that actually come out of his mouth? And we've made a decision that we're not going to dance around these deeper teachings of Jesus, but instead we're going to grasp them for what they are and we're going to go deeper. Last week, Jesus gave us a group of religious, uh, a group of religious hypocrites some very tough love. And this week, the love's going to get even tougher. This week, the tough love of Jesus is going to be directed to one of his closest friends, one of his original 12 disciples, one of his spiritual family. And I'm going to tell you on the front end of it, it's just awkward. The whole thing about it is awkward. This is Jesus' spiritual family. And I don't know about you guys, but my family does a great job of creating some awkward cringe moments from my past. I mean, I, I, I found a website a few weeks back that kind of highlights the cringe factor of family moments, specifically targeting the moments of family photos, okay? I'm going to show you a couple of awkward family photos. I'm not going to say much about them. I'm just going to kind of let them speak for themselves, and you can either cringe or laugh with me. Take your pick. Here's the first one. I don't know whose family this is, but... Um, What's with the bird and the gun? I mean, how does that go together? And some of you that were alive during the 70s, don't you be laughing at him because you look that way too, all right? So let's go to this next one. And I want you to look very closely at the picture. Do you remember the Sesame Street song? One of these things is not like the others. I mean, seriously, just can anybody pick out the rebel in there at all, right? Who is trouble in that system? And look at how big the smiles dad is. Just like, you know, the dad is smiling away like there's no bail money required tonight. That's awesome. Good. Okay. Let's take another one. This is the last one. Okay. Why would you do that? I mean, <laughs> seriously. Okay. This weekend, we're going to cover an awkward family moment. Like I said, Jesus picked 12 guys to pour into. He discipled them. He taught them how to live and how to serve. And the ringleader of that group was a guy by the name of Peter. Peter was a tough fisherman whose mouth got, got him in trouble a lot. I relate to Peter in a lot of different ways. One day, Jesus and Peter are talking. The first part of the conversation is going unbelievably well. And then suddenly, it's like, not good. And it just goes south. Let's start with the section, if you're following along in your outline, where Simon Peter actually gets it right. Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 16, starting in verse 15. He asked Peter a question. The question goes like this. But what about you, he asked? Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my father in heaven. That's a great answer to a great 
question. Who am I, Peter? You're the Jesus. You're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And Peter had a lot of experiences that led him to that correct conclusion. Peter watched Jesus touch a blind man, and suddenly he could see. He'd watched Jesus touch a coffin, and suddenly a young man who was dead sits up alive. That's next week. Get ready for it. It's going to be a lot of fun. He watched Jesus touch people and cast out demons, heal sicknesses, walk on water, calm a storm. Peter had a ton of evidence that Jesus was exactly who he said that he was. He's off off to a good start here. Who am I, Peter? You're the son of God. Awesome. You nailed it. Peter gets it right, and then Jesus speaks the truth to him. And he says this, verse 21. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and the teachers of the law. Just for reference, those are the guys we talked about last week, okay? And then he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Jesus lays out his agenda. No hidden agenda here. I'm going to Jerusalem. And when I get to Jerusalem, I'm going to be falsely accused by the same group of guys that I tore a strip off of last week. I'm going to be wrongfully convicted, sentenced to death, and crucified for everyone to see. I'll suffer as the sins of man are placed on me, but I'm going to do it because I desperately love the people that I've created, even the ones who have turned their back on me and those who are going to in the future. I will be dead. They're going to kill me. But three days later, I will rise from the dead and then things are going to get really, really interesting around here. Peter hears all of this and this is where Simon Peter gets it wrong. Matthew 16, verse 22. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said. This shall never happen to you. Okay, can I just state the obvious here? Rebuking God is not a good thing, okay? I'm sure this came from a very pure heart as Peter was like, no, Jesus, no die. I'm sure it was very, very good. But rebuking God, are you kidding me? Seriously, now before you're too quick to judge Peter, take a second and think about all the times that you've muttered under your breath. God, what are you doing? I'm dying down here. Why don't you help me? Right? It's close. Sounds a little familiar. Let's just be very clear. Is it wrong to question with respect? Absolutely not. Just remember that you're speaking to your creator. He brought you into the game, and he can take you out of the game. Okay? Is it wrong to struggle with God's direction? Well, I sure hope not. I do fairly often. Is it wrong to get frustrated with God? Absolutely not. God can take your temper tantrum and he can take your best shot. But is it wrong to rebuke God publicly? Apparently. Because here comes the cringe moment. Okay, you ready for it? Verse 23. Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. You don't have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Okay. I'm not a Bible scholar, but when the Son of God calls you Satan, that is not good, okay? When he puts you in that category, that is not positive whatsoever. I don't care how you box it, change it, modify it. You can't even make that sound nice, you know? Get behind me, Satan. That doesn't work, okay? It's just straight out tough. Why is Jesus reacting so strongly? 
Why does he get in the face of his friend? Let me tell you why. It's because Peter, pure-hearted and well-intended, is trying to take Jesus off of the mission that he was born with and was living for and that would accomplish no matter what was done or said to him. Jesus came to die for my sin and your sin and no temptation, no question, no distraction would keep him from doing exactly what his Father in heaven had asked him to do. Jesus uses the exact same phrase that he said to Satan himself when the, when, when the devil took Jesus to the wilderness and tempted him. Do you remember that from a couple of months ago when we preached that through? He uses the exact Stay, same phrase. Do you know why? Because Satan was tempting Jesus with the same thing that Peter's laying out. Come on, Jesus, just deviate from the plan just a little. Take the easy way. It will not hurt as much. We'll accomplish what we need to accomplish, Jesus. Just, I, that plan sounds brutal. Just, just stop. Just stop. Jesus says, you don't get to oppose me in this one, Peter. I know you care about me, but right now, you're asking me to do something that I cannot turn my back on. My friends, don't ever forget that what he was doing was saving us. Do we understand that? Jesus pushes in. He lays out the reason why Peter's getting this so wrong. He says, you don't have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Let's start at the end of that sentence and kind of work our way back to the truth. I mean, what are the things of men? According to this passage, what are the things of men? I'm going to give you just a short little list. I believe the first one here is safety. Jesus laid out a plan that wasn't safe. Going to Jerusalem and challenging the religious leaders of the day to go into the octagon for an MMA fight, that is not smart when they have the power to make you dead. And they did. The plan of Jesus wasn't safe. It was the exact opposite of what your mom told you. Wear a helmet. Don't swim for 30 minutes after you've had a meal. Don't run with scissors. Be nice, right? No, Jesus says, if you want to follow me, here's what we're doing, guys. We're going to Jerusalem, and I'm going to get pinned, literally, with nails to a medieval torture stick. I'm going to hang there, and I'm going to die for the sins of the world. That's not safe. No matter how you candy coat it, no matter how we try to make it pretty, crucifixion was brutal, disgusting, unbelievably difficult. And for us, and for us, let's face it, we place a very high priority on safety, don't we? Just play it safe. Don't risk too much. Somebody might think you're a radical, right? You just need to be a nice, calm church person. Play it safe. Do you know what that is? That's a good recipe to die spiritually. I'm just going to take it easy. Mind my own business. As long as Jesus never asks me to do anything too radical, I'm going to be completely and totally fine. Jesus says the things of man are safe, but apparently the things of God are not. And that freaks some of us out. It's like, really? Really? I might have to do something just a little bit dangerous in order to fulfill the purpose that Jesus has for my life? Yes. Yeah. I love the Chronicles of Narnia. 
I love them because they tell the story of Jesus in a way that many, many people can understand. One of my favorite lines from The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe is the question that's posed by one of the children, and he asks a question to Mr. Beaver about Aslan, who is a wonderful caricature and picture of the Jesus that we brag about here every week. And the question is this, Mr. Beaver, is he safe? And Mr. Beaver says, Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. But he's good. Parents, I'm going to say the same thing to you that I said a couple of weeks ago. Your children are safer in his hands than yours. And kids, that goes for your mom and dad too. They're safer in his hands than yours or anybody else. What else are the things of man? Secondly, I think we see a lot of talk in here about security. We place a lot of security in our stuff. We like to stockpile our stuff so that we're going to be secure down the road. We want to be okay. Peter just wanted to be okay. He wanted the security of having Jesus around him. When Jesus said he was going to die, I'm sure Peter's logical question was the question of security. What about me? What about the other 11 guys who've given up everything in order to be able to follow you? He's talking about security here. I'm going to remind you, what about me has a cousin that we've been talking about over the past couple of weeks that says, Lord, me first. Remember that? A lot of talk about security here. The third thing of man is selfishness. Peter liked his world the way it was. It was working for him, and he just didn't want Jesus messing with it. And we all get caught in this one, don't we? Jesus, just don't ask me to do anything too weird, and it'll be fine. This is how I determine God's love for me. A nice house, a nice car, and a full refrigerator. If I have those three things, then Jesus must be just absolutely tickled with me and where I'm going. Just don't ask me anything or to do anything that's going to hurt me or cost me or cause me to sacrifice. Because when you do that, Jesus, mm, no, 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 no. I call the shots in this relationship, not you. Here's the final one. It's the piece of status. See, Peter had a plan in his own mind. He was thinking, I don't think we should do what Jesus wants. I think we should do this. Yeah, let's go to Jerusalem. But instead of dying, I suggest we just rally the troops, overthrow the government, and crown Jesus king. That will be awesome. Because if Jesus is king, and I'm one of his 12 best friends, that means I get to be a prince. I'll take my throne in a size medium and my crown in a size large. Thank you very much. Peter gets caught in the things of man, and in choosing the things of man, he misses out on the things of God. I love this next part, because even though Peter misses it, Jesus keeps telling the truth. Same passage, starting at verse 24, the Bible says this, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me We'll find it. What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world and yet forfeits his soul? What can a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what he has done. I believe Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 through 27 is one of the most beautiful description of the things of God that you can find in your entire Bible. 
We've talked about the trivial things of man that come and go and entice us to play it safe and to be secure and to stay right here because you're not going to run into any problems if you just keep your head down and keep on moving. We're just going to hide inside of the church, not worry about anybody else outside of there because we don't want to have to deal with those people. Those people are a little too messy for us, even though we were messy, weren't we? So we get all wrapped up in those things and, and, and we, and we, and we kind of lay ourselves in front of the things of man and instead Jesus says, I'd like to talk to you about the things of God. So here it comes. What are the things of God? It starts with this. It starts with a life spent loving. What does Jesus say? He says, if anyone would come after me, not you, Not Grant, not your mom, not your dad, not your safe plan. If anyone would come after me, the main thing of God is loving God fully and completely. When we love God, we love what God loves. And some of you will remember during the series that we called Deep, we talked about the depth of spiritual depth. And we defined it this way. The goal of going deeper spiritually must result in a deeper love for God, there it is again, a deeper love for God's people, and an even deeper love for people who don't even know God yet. It's a life spent loving. Loving Jesus becomes primary. Can I tell you why here in Bellingham we're doing Trunk or Treat and why in Ferndale we're doing these neighborhood safety glow stations? It's not so we can exalt the name of our church. It's so we can be a walking, talking representation of what it looks like when you love Jesus more than anything. That's why we're doing that, because we want to model Jesus. This is what we believe Jesus would do. We believe that Jesus would invite kids to come to a safe place so they could interact with people who love God and not have to deal with a group of strange people who are using fear to try and scare children. Which is kind of nuts. So we just raised our hand and said, we'll be. And if you're not doing it here, do it in your neighborhood with your kids. Be people who want to love somebody because when we love somebody, you know what we're doing? We're loving Jesus. It's a life spent loving. Secondly, it's a life spent choosing. What are we choosing? Well, here comes the hard stuff. We're choosing to deny ourselves. How do we do it? I, put it, I like to put it this way. Every time I say no to myself, I believe I'm saying yes to Jesus. See, when I say no to my own selfishness, I'm saying yes to the generosity that God has called me to as one of his followers. When I say no to an addiction that has gripped me for years, I'm saying yes to the freedom that God has called me to. When I say no to my own agenda, I'm saying yes to the agenda and the purpose that Jesus has for me. And this is my experience. Recently in my life, I have found an amazing amount of joy in a deliberate choosing of the opposites. Let me describe that to you just a little bit. When my stinginess screams in my ear, you're not safe, you're not secure, and my hand starts to do this around the stuff that God has given me, I found the only answer to that is to give something away as quick as I can to somebody else who needs it. Because the joy that I get in releasing that helps counteract a selfishness that's common to every single one of us, even if we would be in denial and say, I'm not selfish. 
Maybe I'll have to preach on that sometime. If my brain tells me to keep my mouth shut about Jesus because I might embarrass myself or someone else, I've learned to do the exact opposite. When the brain says, shh, start talking about Jesus loudly to everyone that can hear you because God's up to something in that particular dynamic. If my humanity tells me to play it safe, my response should be, I need to take a step of faith immediately. I have no idea what God wants me to do, but I'm going to take a step. I'm going to get out of this little safe spot and move. So this is how I'm going to try and practice what I preach. I just wanted to play it safe this fall. I just wanted to hang out with you. It's an amazing family. Talk about some cool stuff from the Bible. Slap each other a high five and give each other a nice warm hug. That sounded like just a nice season in the midst of all this stuff that's going on in the world. Let's just play it safe. And the day I was sitting in my office looking at everything that I had planned out for the fall, it was like, got to do the opposite. So in a couple of weeks, I'm going to Africa to work in an AIDS hospital. And I'm going to hold children who most likely will die in my arms. And then I'm going to come home and try and reconcile this world with that one. I'm expecting to be a mess. I'm expecting to have my heart broken. You thought I used to cry a lot? You have no idea. Why would you? Why? Why? Because everything in me said choose the easy way. Jesus never chose the easy way. When it came to saving my soul, he never chose the easy way. When it came to feeding 5,000 people, he could have called Quiznos. He didn't. He did it the hard way so that people could look at him and say, you, you're not just some itinerant homeless Jewish rabbi. You're the son of God. I'm going to follow you. Doing the opposites sometimes are difficult. Christ the King, Bellingham and Ferndale, what are you doing that's so absolutely countercultural that people think you're nuts? It just may be godly. The Bible says as well that there's another kind of choosing. The second choosing is a deliberate choosing of the cross. What did Jesus say? He said we have to deny ourselves, which is saying yes to Jesus, and take up our cross. I think people misunderstand this one all the time. I think they kind of see it this way. I think they see the cross as something that they're just doomed to carry for the rest of their existence. It's just like, man, this is tough. This is hard. I got to carry this with, with me everywhere I go. And they mistakenly substitute the broken things of this world. Because I don't know if you've noticed or not, but the world we live in, it's busted, people. It's broken. Now, to encourage you, if you love Jesus, this is not your home. You're just on a trip on the way through, okay? You're just on a trip on the way through. You need to remember that. But some of us see all of the, t- the stuff of the world, the sickness, the loss of your job, all of that stuff, and we mistake that for the cross, and we go, that's just the burden I guess I have to bear. 
I'm going to deny myself, which is hard. I'm going to take up my cross, which is harder. And I'm going to drag around this so-called new life that Jesus has for me like an anchor. And when people ask me if they should become a Christian, I'll look at them and say, you may need to think about that. That's a wrong understanding of the cross. So, I have a buddy who inspired me this past week. He's two weeks old in Jesus. And I asked him to do me a favor. I said, I'm going to preach out of this tough passage this week. Could you do me a big favor? Could you tell me what you think it says? I'm like, sure. Took him to this phrase. Deny yourself and take up your cross. I said, what do you think that means to you? Now, you've got to remember, he's a brand new believer in Jesus. He thinks about it for a little while. We were in the back loading dock when this happened. And he went and pulled this down off of the wall because it was just hanging up in the back in kind of the prop area where we do our stage stuff. And he kind of grabbed a hold of it. And he walked over and goes, I think taking up your cross is this. I said, can you unpack that for me? He goes, ask me what I'm doing. I said, what are you doing? I'm going to work. I'm going to work in Jesus' name, and I'm not ashamed of it. I won't put it down. I'm not going to downsize it. I'm not going to make it smaller. I am going under the banner of the cross of Christ. Okay, then. What are you doing, Christ the King? I'm going to school. I'm going to sit in that philosophy class and I cannot, I will not back down. Because Jesus said that if I would deny myself and take up my cross, that that's where I would find the purpose for my Christian life. Young person, what are you doing? I'm going to middle school. I'm going to middle school. This is what I have been called to. This is what Peter was called to, and he missed it by about that much. And he got back later on, had to go through some rough stuff. Christ the King, deny yourself. You want to go deeper? Deny yourself. Take up your cross. And then what? What's it say? And then follow. It would make logical sense that the next point... In our outline is a life spent following. Following the life of Jesus, following the example of Jesus, following the heart of Jesus, following the teaching of Jesus, following the path of Jesus. <coughs> the final thing of God, I believe, is a life being saved. The Bible says whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me We'll find it. What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world and yet forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man, which is a title that Jesus used for himself, is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what he has done. Jim Elliot was a missionary. 
He was a man who gave his life to a group of natives. And the very group of people he went to save ended up murdering him. Jesus called him out of his safety. He called him out of his security. He called him out of his selfishness. And he called him out of his status. He called him to deny himself, take up his cross and follow, no matter the cost. And that's exactly what Jim Elliot did. These words were found in his journal. I've had it written in my Bible for many, many years. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. A life spent following Jesus can never be lost because it's eternal. A life spent following Jesus is never safe. It's the craziest adventure you'll ever go on. A life following Jesus doesn't have a lot of security here because this is not our home. Our home is in a treasure in heaven. This is not a place where status matters very much. Jesus doesn't call us to status. He calls us to make him famous. That's what we have been called to do. So Christ the King Bellingham, Christ the King Ferndale. Peter got it wrong. Don't make his mistake. But Grant, what do I do? Choose the opposites this week. Take up your cross. Deny yourself and find out that Jesus has something better on the other side of that denial. Take up your cross and follow him. That is life. Would you pray with me as we close? Jesus, these verses have always scared me because I always saw them with such a negative connotation. Jesus, following you is the best decision I ever made. Denying myself is unbelievably difficult, but always worthwhile. Taking up my cross is my honor and my joy. following you. Following you is the most wonderful thing that any of us can do. So Lord, I want to pray today for those who are listening within the sound of my voice that they would see the level of commitment that Jesus is calling his people to. I pray for those who don't even know Jesus yet and and they're just watching. They're watching, they're examining, they're checking out whether or not this is real or not. Father, I pray that they would see the reality of the Christian faith wrapped in a group of people in Whatcom County who are following Jesus, denying themselves, taking up their cross, and following. 
from this life right into eternity. Father, I pray that we wouldn't miss it and get wrapped in the things of man, but that we would celebrate and be wrapped in the things of God. Jesus, press us deeper in your precious and holy name. Amen.